Our sermon scripture text comes from Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, and according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from, the blood guilt, from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to Psalm 51. We're continuing our series, uh, our secondary series on looking at prayers in the Bible to see what we can learn from them. Um, and let me just say what a privilege this is. Um, I'm nervous. I don't take this lightly. Um, I'm intimidated by the task and humbled by the text in front of us this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and to worship freely. And as we dig into your word, we ask that you would move in us. Open our hearts and use your word to make us more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, I woke up on a Sunday morning and I was not feeling well. Um, as the morning went on, I didn't feel any better, so I told my wife Esme, I said, you go on to church, I think I'm going to stay home. I think that's going to be the best for me. And she said, okay, well, um, I hope you feel better. I'm going to go on to church. I said, okay, I'll watch it online. She said, can you do me one favor while I'm gone? Can you water the plants, okay? Now, for those of you who don't know, my wife, Esme, loves plants, okay? We have plants inside, outside, everywhere we can have plants, we have plants. If we had an aquarium, if we were allowed to at Southern, there'd be plants in it, I'm sure. And so this was not an easy task before me, and I didn't really want to do it. But I said, you know what? 
I love you. Of course, I water the plants, right? I know how much these plants mean to you. I know the time and effort that's gone into the, the money that's gone into the plants, right? Of course, I'll water them. She says, thanks. She leaves. I'll, I say, I'll do it later. I pour myself a cup of coffee, sit down with a book, and time gets away from me, right? Before I know it, service is starting. I need to watch it online. So I do. Service is over. Close the computer. Go get some more coffee. And plants are not in my mind at all, okay? And she calls me. She says, hey, uh, church is over. I'm on my way home. I'm, you know, oh, great. I'm so excited to see you. We'll have lunch together. Uh, be careful. And she's like, one more thing. Did you water the plants? I'm like, yeah. Oh, I definitely watered the plants. Yeah. Which was a lie, okay? And she says, thank you. I'll see you in a minute. She hangs up, right? I know this drive from Vine Street to our apartment. I don't have a lot of time. So as soon as she hangs up the phone, I sprint for the door, grab a watering can, and start trying to fill it up. I even know we have too many plants. There's no way it's all getting done. I'm just trying to wet the top of the soil to give the illusion that I did water the plants, right? And I am almost done watering the plants. And I look up, and I see her pulling in. So I drop the watering can, run back inside, sit down with my book and my coffee, and pretend like nothing happened, right? And I thought, you sly dog, you have pulled it off. And then she walks in the door. You know, I'm trying to, trying to be sweet. Hey, oh, it's, I'm so glad you're home. And she shuts it behind her, and she gives me this look, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with, right? Serious, not a lot of emotion. Eyebrows raised, eyes open, and she just stares at me. And I know she knows, right? <laughs> And so I come before her and I say, I need to tell you something. You're going to be shocked. I forgot to water the plants, right? And I lied to you about it on the phone, and I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? And because of that, right, she did. She forgave me, and we were able to go about and laugh. She thought it was hilarious. She saw me drop it and run inside. I was not fooling anybody. But how I went about this process matters, right? The process is important. I had to confess to her that I'd done something wrong, to ask her forgiveness, and then we could respond in laughter about it, right? If I had continued to lie about it, she would have been confused, but also some trust would have been broken, broken, and this process would have looked a lot different, right? Those were the steps that I had to take to acknowledge my sin, to ask for forgiveness, and then we could laugh about it. And I think we're going to see something similar to this in Psalm 51, right? We're going to see a biblical model of repentance. That's what David's prayer here shows us, right? So to just give us a roadmap of where we're going, this psalm is divided into three sections, right? And we're going to take one point, we're going to call them steps, from each section, okay? So step one, acknowledge and confess sin. Step two, seek help and forgiveness. And step three, respond in worship, right? So let's dig into this a little bit. The superscript of this psalm tells us that it's a psalm of David and that this was written after David's sin with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan's confrontation of David. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page with this, right? The Israelites are at battle with the Ammonites. David is back in Jerusalem. And one day he looks out and he sees this woman bathing on the roof, and her name is Bathsheba. And he lusts after her, he calls her to himself, he lays with her, and she conceives a child. 
And I think Nathan, I mean David, confronted by this sin, realizing he's going to have to do something about it, tries to take matters into his own hands. So he sends for her husband, Uriah, who is at battle. And Uriah comes to him, and David is trying to woo him a little bit. He says, you know what? I'm glad you're here. You go back home, wash up, I'll see you later. And Uriah is a pretty noble guy. He says, no, my, my men are out there. I'm not going to go enjoy the comforts of home. And he doesn't. He even, he even goes as far as sleeping on the streets. And I think David, again confronted with his sin, and now the nobility of Uriah, decides he's going to have to take matters into his own hands again. So he sends word by Uriah's hand back to battle and says, put Uriah on the front line, retreat, and have him killed. And that's what happens, and Uriah dies. After this, the prophet Nathan confronts David about his sin, and David is broken. And what we get is Psalm 51. So Psalm 51 is a broken plea from David after he is confronted about his sin. So let's, let's start looking at the text. Section 1, verses 1 through 6, is going to show us our first step in a biblical model of repentance, right? To acknowledge and confess our sin, all right? Verse 1, David begins with an appeal to God's mercy. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression, right? Without mercy, David and, and ourselves cannot come before God. Without grace, unholy people cannot stand before a holy God. And David clings to that truth, that God is merciful and he calls it to mind, that God is abounding in mercy and steadfast love. He's in desperate need of forgiveness and there's nothing he can do but throw himself on that grace. And that's the grounds for the entire rest of the psalm. That's what allows him to approach God in prayer, is the mercy of God. And so after verse 1, he really starts getting into his confession. He acknowledges his sin, his need of help. And listen to these words. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Right? David is guilty of a multitude of sins in this one story, right? Lust, covetousness, worldliness, ingratitude, adultery, selfishness, pride. We, we could go on. Ultimately, Uriah's death is at the hand of David. And what he's saying is that he is aware of it. He knows it, and he tells God of it, right? It's in front of him, I think, in two ways here, right? First, God's convicting him of it. He's broken because of it. And second, he sees the physical ramifications, right? The relationships, the people that are hurt. He's aware of the severity of his sin, the seriousness of it. And he keeps moving. Verse 4, he says to God, against you and you only have I sinned, right? Which is interesting. It's an interesting statement. Because we know that David's sin affected more than just God, right? It hurt a number of people. Uh, it, It involved Nathan. It involved Bathsheba. It involved Uriah and the baby that they conceived. So why would David say that? Because sin is first and foremost an offense against God. I don't think he's downplaying his sin and the hurt that he caused other people, but he's simply acknowledging that above everything else, his sin is against God. And therefore, because of these things, God's judgment is right and justified. It's deserved. And I think this is where David gets at the heart of his confession. 
He says, I am guilty, so when you judge, you are blameless. And we know judgment did come. If you look at the story in 2 Samuel, God is merciful to him, but as a judgment from God, the child that they conceive dies, right? And so David's saying, when that judgment comes, you're blameless. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for us, right? We deserve God's judgment. And realizing this truth will keep us humble. So, so far, David's argument kind of flows like this if we're tracking along with it, right? Have mercy on me. Here's my sin. I know it. I know how bad it is. And when you judge me, I deserve it, right? Listen to Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, right? David has to begin here. This is the first step, confession, right? David can't move on. We can't move on to ask for help if we don't realize that we need help, right? And this is really difficult for us because it requires humility, right? That's not typically our natural mindset, right? We, we don't like to admit when we're wrong or when we mess up because our pride and shame get in the way. But we need to humble ourselves and realize that we're weak and that we need help and that we are sinners. So step one is to acknowledge and confess our sins. Let me just provide a few practical steps of, of application. And I hope in each of our, my points, I'm going to do this in two ways. First, in our private life in prayer that David models for us here, and then also communally as a church, right? So first, confess your sin, right? David does that to God. He does it privately to God in prayer. Take it before the Lord, right? You can do that. And then secondly, and I would say that this can only really happen well if we're in close community with other Christians. And and here's two reasons for that. First, we need to see what mature Christians look like. We need to see faith lived out in lives. And so when we spend time with other mature Christians, we see them live their faith well. We may see weaknesses and sin in ourselves we didn't even know we had. And second of all, we need people like Nathan in our lives to confront us about our sin. Now, these things are not easy. It's going to hurt, right? But... If we're going to be more like Jesus, we're going to rid ourselves of sin, we need people like Nathan in our lives. We need to be surrounded by people who love us, who love the church, who love God, and want to see us be more like Jesus. And this only happens, I think, in in close community with other people. So, step one, we have to acknowledge and confess sin, and then we move to step two, right? So this is verses 7 through 12. David's language shifts, and he starts to seek help and forgiveness. That's the second step in a biblical pattern of repentance. Let me just say as a caveat, this step can't happen without step one. We can't seek forgiveness, as I've said, until we realize that we need it, right? So once David confesses his sin, he moves into a time of help. Also note this, David doesn't say, God, I know my sin. I know how bad it is. I've seen it. I've seen the people it's affected. Got it. I'm going to go work on that, right? David cries out to God for help because, left to his own, David could never be made clean, right? The same is true for us. We need God's help. And since this is first and foremost a sin against God, reconciliation needs to happen with him first. And that's what David cries out for. Listen to these words. 
Purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. David's confession of sin was not casual and his seeking help is not casual either. His sin is severe and the forgiveness that he needs is serious. We can see something interesting too here. David is confident that if the Lord wills, he will be pure, whiter than snow, clean. Just like he knows God is merciful, that's where he began, he knows that God does have the power to forgive, to make new. He knows that God's merciful and God does forgive. And brothers and sisters, this is good news, right? Especially for us. God sent his son into the world to die so that we can have forgiveness of sin. He does forgive sins, right? So now when we come before God and we confess our sins to him, he's not just sitting there listening going, well, this is awful. Why are you telling me this, right? When we confess our sins to God, he washes us and makes us clean. He forgives, right? From here, David's prayer changes just a little bit more. Instead of saying, wash me, clean me, he says, create in me a clean heart. Verse 10. David recognizes that his sin requires more than just a washing. It requires a new heart. And this shows us well David's desire to be made new, his desire for holiness. It shows us his utter dependence on God for purification and him clinging to God's grace. The transformation that's needed is not an outside wash, it's within, it's in the heart, right? One commentator notes this, if there is any greater exercise of power than that which brought all things out of nothing, it is that which brings a clean thing out of an unclean or makes a saint out of a sinner. David needs a new heart created within. He doesn't ask for remolding, a quick fix, a patch. He asks for a new heart. Esme and I moved here on July 1st of 2020. Actually, we were allowed to move into our apartment that day. We left the day before. So it was me and my brother driving a U-Haul and Esme in her car driving. Now, the drive from Chattanooga to Louisville is gorgeous, but there's not a lot there, right? These are small little bitty towns that we drive through so that we can avoid Nashville at all costs, right? And we are about two hours from home, and in the middle of this tiny little town, about halfway here, and Esme's car starts acting up, so she calls me. RPMs are going crazy, not getting above 15 miles an hour, so we pull over, we find a little uh, mechanic. I mean, his shop was little, he wasn't little. And uh, he takes a look at it, runs some codes on it, and says, yeah, it's definitely a transmission problem, but he didn't even have the parts to fix them. He said, you know, it's, for me to order it, it's going to take, take weeks for it to get here. So we call uh, the dealership she brought it from, and praise the Lord, it was still under warranty. So they, they came and got it, drove it back to Chattanooga, fixed it, and one of our family members drove it up later. Well, about a month after that, after driving it, it started acting up again, right? Same problems. Esme calls uh, scared and says, you know, hey, same thing's happening. So we find a dealership here, says, hey, can we maybe get this fixed here under warranty? And they said, yeah. So they called us a few days after looking at it and said, we can see where they fixed it. Um, We could fix it again, but it's going to happen again. Pretty much we can guarantee it. You don't need a patch. You don't need a quick fix. You need a whole new transmission, right? And praise the Lord, it was under warranty, and we got a whole new transmission, right? 
I think this is kind of similar to what David is asking for. He does not want a quick fix. He does not want a patch, a remodeling of his heart. He wants a whole new heart, right? And then after this, one more transition here. David moves from seeking forgiveness, seeking a clean heart, to asking God to uphold him with a willing spirit. He doesn't want this new heart or to be cleansed and to be washed and then to be sent back out on his own with no help, right? He needs a daily upholding help. And so I think maybe some of us this morning are in the first camp. We have real sin before us that we need to confess to God, that we need to seek forgiveness and repent of. Others of us may be in the second camp where what we need is a daily upholding from God. And so if I can offer a few practical steps here, again, application. First, model this prayer that David has. If you don't know this, you can pray the Psalms, and it's a beautiful thing to pray the Psalms. So do that. Pray what David prays. Forgive me, wash me, create in me a clean heart. Uphold me, God. I need your help. And then corporately with the church, Remember that one of the responsibilities of the church is to disciple us, right? And I think one of the ways that God answers this prayer and upholds us is to surround us with brothers and sisters in Christ who have walked through similar things, right? They can pray for us. They can hold us accountable. They can offer us practical advice that function as guardrails to keep us where we need to be and check in on us. So step one in our biblical model of repentance is to acknowledge and confess sin and then from there we move to step two which is to seek help and then finally as we look at this last section verses 13 through 19 we respond in worship and that's David's response it's one of worship listen to this he says then meaning after after this then I will teach transgressors your ways Deliver me, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips, and I will declare your praise. Right? This is a natural response from David. He has seen his sin. He's confessed it. He's sought help. And he has confidence that God is merciful and stands ready to forgive. And so he praises him. Also, look at verse 13 again. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. He also knows the power of a testimony, right? A witness to the incredible mercy of God and what it can do for others. He says, as a result of your grace to me, God, what you have done for me, that story, sinners will return to you. Because every story about a life that was raised from death to life by the grace and power of God is incredible. And the natural posture of a person redeemed is one of worship. So David's act of worship is singing praises and telling others what God has done. I work in the admissions office at Southern. I've done that for a couple months. And if you want to apply for Southern, all you need is your, all we need is an application, a transcript, and a pastoral recommendation saying this person does go to church, I recommend them. That's all we need. And it's pretty clearly laid out when you look at our website saying this is, this is what you need to do to apply. But we get regular phone calls. I would say I get at least one a day where somebody says, hey, I want to apply to Southern, and I just want to tell you my story, right? I want to tell you what God has done for me. It's like, okay, do I need this? No, right? Do they know we don't need it? 
Probably because, like I said, it's clearly laid out. This is what we need. Transcript, pastoral application. Done, right? But they go on and tell us anyway. Why? Because they have to. Their response to what God has done for them is to tell other people about it and to worship him. Luther says this, if we have, through faith in Christ, received the righteousness and the grace of God, then we can do no greater work than to speak and declare the truth of Christ. And we need to, like David, respond in worship to what God has done for us, right? Practical steps application. Worship in, at home, privately, with a family. Let your natural posture be one of worship in everything that you do. Tell other people about the incredible mercy that you have received. Take the time to really consider your sin, the sin that God saved you out of, and you will see the incredible mercy that he gave you. And then tell other people about it. And then as a body, this is the main function of the church, is to worship, right? We gather with a group of people who, above everything else, have one thing in common, that we have experienced the mercy of God in saving us from our sin. So let us worship our merciful God together because of this. David's sin was ugly because all sin is ugly. Let us humble ourselves, see our sin, confess our sin, ask for forgiveness, and then respond in worship for the grace that God has shown us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a merciful God, that we can approach you in prayer, and that you forgive sin. Help us to be humble, to see our sin, so that we can confess it to you and repent of it. And uphold us with a willing spirit. Let us never forget the incredible work that you've done in each and every one of us to save us from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.